Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. I am your host, Matt Chatham, brought to you by Sportsmanias, your free fantasy football app. Happy to be back again for another exciting week of NFL football. We had an awesome weekend of games. Got another great week coming up with some huge matchups. And I'm especially fired up to have my buddy and my partner in Nesson, uh, Jermaine Wiggins, here on the show with as well. Jermaine's a former tight end in the NFL for many years. Played between New England, has a Super Bowl ring, played on another and another Super Bowl against us with the Carolina Panthers. Wiggy's a Georgia Bulldog, not going to hold that against him. They had a rough weekend, but uh, <laughs> Wiggy, how's it going, buddy? Good to have you on the show. I'm, I'm doing well, Matt. Good to be here. All right, well, let's dive right into it. Obviously, uh, a very exciting week of games this past weekend. Uh, we've got some teams now that are starting to separate themselves from one another. It looks like the league's turning out a little bit top-heavy. We certainly do have parity in the league uh, with some teams sort of getting better than we didn't think. But at the end of the day, looks like Green Bay's at the top. Looks like New England's at the top. Arizona looks pretty good like they did a year ago, although now they have a quarterback. Uh and there just seems to be some separation. Any sort of just big picture thoughts you have on, on, on coming out of the weekend's games? Well, I think the biggest picture for me is, you know, I mean, when you look at New England, I'm just going to start in New England because that's obviously what I see on a, on a big picture. When you look at the Patriots, to me, the quarterback play, because, you, you know, you know as well as I know, you know, to be a good team in the postseason and ultimately play for a championship, it comes down to two things. It's obviously having a good coach and a quarterback. And when you look at the quarterback play, um, just in the National Football League in general, it, it's so inconsistent. And then when I look at the New England Patriots with Tom Brady, even in a game where, where the Dallas Cowboys were able to get to him five times, he still was able to keep his composure and he was still, he was still able to go out there. And when he got the time, do the things that we've seen him do in the past before uh, come away with, 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 you know, two touchdowns, no interceptions and, and just basically be surgical. That's the one thing that I've kind of know, noticed throughout the national football league is the inconsistency of the quarterback playing. And as a new England fan and as somebody who covers his team, it's, it's really exciting to see a guy week in and week out play at the, play at a very high level and be consistent we know that wiggy i mean that's that's belichick's old mantra he talks about be the same guy every day i think if if anything you could have as an asset as a player i think that's one of the one of the top ones uh i think what's interesting and i'm, I'm curious to get your take on this i it, it's been weird to me uh you know we we talk about the the tom brady's and the aaron Rodgers and drew Brees on a normal year where he's not banged up Peyton when his arm's not falling off, but sort of in a, their own little class. They're, they're their own little neighborhood that's sort of gated community that sits apart from the rest, at least in my view. We've had a weird year here now. 
where there's some uh, there's some quarterbacks who are having some exceptional games as far as at least statistically speaking. Uh, McCown out there in Cleveland's putting up like 400 yards a game. They're scoring like crazy, putting 33 points on the board. Some of these guys who, I mean, just at least traditionally by by reputation anyway, aren't your high end guys are putting up a, a ton of yards. I mean, what do you what do you attribute to that? Is it maybe just bad defense, or are some of these guys better than we thought, or? Is it just a hit and miss thing? One week Nick Foles is having 400 yards. Next week he can't throw for 100. It just seems like maybe that's the inconsistency you're talking about. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think you hit the hit the nail right on the head. Especially when you talk, you brought up a guy like Nick Foles. And I think when you look at him, McCown, here's a guy that you know is a journeyman in the league, gets his opportunity to play. And if you put in a situation where you're throwing the football a lot, you're as a quarterback, you should for the most part be able to rack up some yards. And, and I, I know we've talked about this as many times as we've done Nesson before and we've done shows before. It, it, it's not about yardage. You know, at the end of the day, you know, a guy, right. if he goes out there and he throws 45 passes, he's going to have the yards. But it's about, you know, touchdowns to interceptions. You know, it's about completion percentage. And when I start to look at some of these guys that are putting up these big numbers, you start to see that they might be putting up 400 yards, but they're throwing three touchdowns and two interceptions. Or, you know, they might right. be – you know, 30 of, 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 of 55 or whatever it may be. I, I think it all goes back to that first point that I made. It's about the consistency. Now, when you see guys that are cons- I would rather see a guy who's consistent. Maybe he doesn't throw for, for the huge numbers, but he's consistent in the fact that, you know, he's not going to throw many interceptions. He's not going to make a lot of bad decisions. Uh, he's going to get the ball to the open man. And, and to me, it's hard to find those guys. And I think when you look at, and I'm just using uh, Josh McCown uh, because his name was brought up, but you look at a right. situation where him and Johnny football are fighting over that posi- uh, position. And one week it's Johnny Mandel, next week it's McCown. Right. And I, and I kind of wonder if they had that confidence in him, why not play him on a consistent basis? So, you know, I, I think, and plus the league nowadays, you can see it, it's an air it out league. Let's throw the football defensively. You guys are kind of handcuffed a little bit as far as the physicality. So I think that's why you see some of the numbers up there like that. I'd like to give a hat tip to one of our new sponsors, SeatGeek. And now SeatGeek does a ton of things that other ticketing sites don't. First of all, SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of online ticket sellers to create a one-stop shop for tickets. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're getting virtually every ticket option available for that game all on one page. No need to go anywhere else. Also, they have a great feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a 1 to 100 value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded interactive map. So you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a glance. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless and easy. No more typing squiggly letters you can't read into a box like other sites make you do. (laughs) On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find the ticket you want to buy, you just complete the purchase with just two quick steps. There's no faster way to buy tickets. Now, my listeners get to use promo code FBF in the SeatGeek app and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It will take less than a minute to download that app today. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code FBF. Well, I'm going to sort of pivot here off of one of your former teams. You played for the Carolina Panthers, and uh, I believe you didn't play with Cam Newton. We don't go back that far, but uh, Cam was uh, Cam kind of falls in that same category that we're talking about where 
I, I don't think – I mean, he obviously has the huge contract, the Superman persona. He's bigger than life, one of the best athletes in the NFL. But I, I, I think he's often kept outside that sort of upper-upper class, at least in, in the league. But surprisingly, this season, he's been a pretty consistent dude. He's he's put forward some pretty clean performances. He sits at seven, seven touchdowns, two interceptions, and the Carolina Panthers sit there right with the Patriots, one of those undefeated teams, but that's only played four, not five games. Uh, what do you? What's sort of your take on the situation in Carolina? Are they one of these teams that is still going to be there? Or are they more of a, a product of who they played thus far? Well, I think they're one of the teams that, that's going to be there at the end. And I think because if you look at Carolina, I think they're more of a defense-first team. And so that's going to put right. them in a position. I think the thing that Cam Newton, we've seen his, his kind of maturation period, his, his growth, is he's starting to realize and become more mature as a quarterback and realize, okay, let me take what the defense gives me. I know I'm a great athlete. I know I got a big arm. Um, but why force things that might not be there just because I have the athletic ability to do that? And I think that's the thing that you're starting to see with Cam Newton. And they're putting him in a position where they're not saying, hey, Cam, you got to go out there and throw 40 times a game. Um, I, I think the game is actually coming to him, and he's taking what, what the defenses are giving him. So I, when you look at Cam Newton and kind of where he's going, his evolution as a quarterback, I think it's start, that light's starting to come on where he's a great right, athlete. Right. And he's starting to say, let me be a quarterback who's a good athlete, not an athletic guy who's playing quarterback. And I think that's what he's starting to find a little bit, where he's a quarterback first, athlete second. I think that's a really interesting point, Wiggy. And, and for this reason, uh, you, you, there's contrast with them, and they actually play Seattle this week. Uh, the Seahawks have been a team that is a little more schizophrenic as far as their own offensive output. And I, I think those two guys, uh, for better or worse, get held against each other, Russell Wilson and Kim, because they're two of the better athletes that have the ball in their hands, quite frankly, to start to play anyhow. And, and I, I think sort of conventional wisdom was that Russell Wilson, because his team has won, and you know he's had championship performances that he's sort of held maybe a notch above cam but I, I guess this is just my view uh but if we were to look out five to ten years i'm not so certain that cam newton isn't held at least equal or maybe higher because i think he still has a much higher ceiling i still have a frustration watching the seahawks in this past weekend against the bengals and watch russell make some pretty cool plays uh he escapes out the back of the pocket he scrambles he finds an open guy because it comes a little bit recess because, you know, coverage breaks down when those plays extend that much. But the frustration is watching him miss the crossing route, the open window, the in cut that happened right in front of him, which would have made him not have to scramble. And I think when you look at Cam Newton, it just sort of in contrast with him, uh, you know, he's he's having the modest output games. It, all the, He has three of his four games are under 200 yards passing. But it's not 40 attempts, as you mentioned. It's just a little bit more efficient. He's not forcing it. it it's the take it as – take what you – what's your given kind of point that you made earlier. And I'm just wondering if because he's not doing recess quite as much as maybe Russell and because he's a tall guy that can operate in the pocket, I think the more than Russell ever might be able to do. Maybe this is just hot take territory, but I'm feeling better about sort of the career arc of where Cam might go. And Russell is always going to be an interesting player, always going to be fun. You'll be well to have him on your team, well off to have him on your team. But I'm starting to see more limitations there and less warts, I guess, with Cam. What's your thoughts there? Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I think 
the, the biggest thing that you that my take on it would be the size differentials because Cam is one of those bigger guys and he can stand in the pocket and be more of a pocket passer and and where Russell Wilson he has to find those lanes he has to find those throwing lanes because he's a little bit smaller is a little bit on the size and I think the other thing with Russell Wilson uh, it, it's it's kind of his gift and his curse where he did win a Super Bowl uh, very early into his career you know defensively they were very good so now the expectations um, of him being that upper echelon quarterback uh, 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 are very high. And then when you lose a guy like Marshawn Lynch, who's really the the, the engine that makes that offense go, now you're put in a position where, okay, more of the the, the burden is going to fall on your shoulders. And I think that's the one thing that we're starting to see with Russell Wilson is, hey, a lot of this burden is falling on your shoulders. The passing game has to evolve because – defensively, they're not the same defense that we saw before. So they're giving up some points now. So offensively, Seattle has to go out there. They don't have a Marshawn Lynch. They have to be able to throw the football. And if you look at that Cincinnati game, I mean, one of their touchdowns basically came off of 70-yard run by uh, uh, the running back. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Just a, yeah, right. just a blown coverage, yeah. Right, right. And so now what's happening is if you're not getting those big plays from the running game, you're now have to being able to throw the football. And the thing that I'm a little bit concerned with is you bring in a guy like uh, uh, Jimmy Graham and you're not able to take advantage of his skill set. And that's where I kind of look. And when you look on the flip side with Cam Newton and what he's been able to do with a guy like Greg Olson, who who doesn't have the type of, uh, say, sailing that Jimmy Graham has, I think it's just the maturity level. I think it's when you, when you spoke about it before, being able to find that progression, hit that open crosser. And, and I think there's more pressure – on Russell Wilson because he's won a championship and you're starting to see some right. of the chinks in the armor because he doesn't have that Marshawn Lynch style of running game. And let's, let's move the football on the ground. I guess just because of belief in how difficult it is to play out there at CenturyLink in Seattle and how I, th- I still think it's a really well coached team. I feel like somehow, some way they're still going to be a part of it, even though the, rec- the record isn't very good right now. But I do look at, at some of the points you made and it just looks like a real mish- mishmash, mishmash, excuse me, of personnel. I mean, you're right. Without Marshawn Lynch, they don't have the top end running game. They went out and got Fred Jackson, who's an older player. They're not, they're not giving him the ball 30 times at this point in his career. And you've got all these bigger wide receivers, uh, you know, Curse and some of the, well, Jimmy Graham was essentially a wide receiver who I could see as a player being a little frustrated being in that offense because you, you watch, if you just sort of spotlight on those guys watching routes, Jimmy gets in his stance and maybe even extended from the formation. Curse gets in his, Doug Baldwin gets in his, uh, lock it. These guys go out and run what would be a traditional route, you know, whatever was, whatever the route tree called for, or the play call or whatever it was, and something you'd be much more familiar with than me. But I watch the guys, especially when, when you review, review the coaches tape and they get to the stem, they run the route, they complete the route, they look back and nothing happens play after play after play and then it becomes recess so like each play kind of has this feel of sort of chaos I I can just I'm just more curious from your your point of view as someone who was a route runner and and a pass catcher what that would be like if you know hey I've got I've got today I'm gonna have 50 snaps 50 times they're gonna tell me to run such and such route the chance that I'm going to get a ball at the top of one of those routes is like 0.5%. But I still might catch some balls because I'm going to have to improvise once I get to the top. What does that feel like as a receiver? Have you ever actually had to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I've had before. And I've dealt with it, especially when you have a quarterback that's a mobile quarterback. 
because they always tend to fall back on their athletic ability rather than just say, hey, trust the offense, trust the, like you said, get to the top, the top of your stem, and as soon as you come out of your break, boom, ball's out, now you can catch it, make something happen. When you get to the top of your stem and you've got more of the athletic quarterback, if it's not there, he's now breaking down. He's, he's scrambling, and now, like you said, you're asking to improvise, and it becomes a scramble rule, and you, you're all over the place. Um, but I think that is very frustra- uh, frustrating as a player because you want to be able to, if you're running a 10-yard out route, for example, you want to be able to, as soon as you get to that 9-, 10-yard mark, and as soon as you come out your route, one or two steps, you want that ball on you so you can catch right. it and make something happen. And that's the one thing that I've seen um, with the Seattle offense is at times you see Jimmy Graham come out of his route, ball's not there, now the play breaks down, and that whole scramble thing is very difficult because you don't know where the quarterback's going versus when he was in New Orleans, he'd hit the top of his stem, he'd hit the top of his route. As soon as he came out of it, Drew Brees was putting it on him. And I think that comes with the, the inability or, say, the, the, the maturity level as far as Russell Wilson when he comes being a pocket passer. He just doesn't have that timing yet. Yeah, and it's interesting where you had made the point earlier about about Greg Olson, about how sort of he has sort of developed that relationship with Cam, and that's the first place he goes. In my view, you know, those are routes that with a tight end, you might have a little more success hitting them on tempo because they're closer to the formation. I mean, he's closer to you. Yep. <laughs> you know, he's tighter, and him coming out of a break on, on a seam route is a little easier to hit than like an 18 back to 15 comeback on the outside or some two-man route combination on the outside that he just doesn't see from the pocket uh it it would have been great I think I think the idea the thought behind getting Jimmy Graham in there and having a a big reliable target near him could have worked the problem is Jimmy can't get in near the formation because it creates a a you know which way the run play is going to go now thing and they look like they're just extending him so it might just be a mismatch of of teams but it does bring me to sort of this idea this is kind of more off-season talk but when you usually the gripe behind a guy like Cam Newton or or even Russell Wilson in Seattle is, hey, you got to get him more weapons, got to get him more weapons. What free agent, you know, say if you're a guy that's used to catching the ball in tempo, if you're, if you're Calvin Johnson or if you're Larry Fitzgerald or a guy who's used to saying, hey, I'm going to work at my craft, I'm going to go out and run my route, and when I hit the top of the route, I'm going to be open, the ball better be there. I, I wonder if that sort of makes it difficult to to go out in free agency and put find a receiver for the guys to catch it because it's so much of a known known how they're going to get the ball or if they're going to get the ball or maybe you're better off just not spending on that spot and finding these guys like curse and and doug baldwin that that are really actually pretty good in the in the sort of recess part of the game they can improvise well two three four times a game they'll catch a broken coverage thing and they'll scramble and it'll be a 40-yard pass play and look at the box score and look like oh good passer good high rating um, I, I'm wondering just from your view, if you say you're in free agency, you're on the street and you're looking for a job and you've got lots and lots of suitors, does sort of the kind of passing system you might be in sort of dissuade you from going to one place to another? Yeah, I definitely think it does. I think the biggest thing, and, and I'll, I just want to kind of jump back on this real quick with the Jimmy Graham thing is because um, having insight in that offense, I've actually played with Daryl Bevel, who's the offensive coordinator. When I was in Minnesota, he was kind of the offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. And I think, you know, to kind of go back onto the point as a free agent, it's you, you tend to look at who the, the offensive coordinators are and how they use your okay. position before in the past. And when you when I look at Daryl Bevel, to me, the tight end position isn't like the first thing that he likes to use. 
Um, and so okay. if I am in a, a free agent tight end, that might not be my first choice of where I want to go because ultimately I know that that's not his first choice of when it comes through the, the progression of, okay, we're going to focus on the tight end. Now, if you go to a guy like Josh McDaniels, you know, really loves to get the tight end involved. And if you're a free agent and you're saying, hey, I got an opportunity, you want to go to a place like New England because, hey, if I'm a tight end, they're going to take advantage of me. So I, I think a lot of it is based on, A, obviously the quarterback, but then you try to figure out who the offensive coordinator is and kind of look at some of the, the guys that have played your position on how they've utilized them in the past. Scott Chandler didn't have any targets yesterday against the Patriots. It was even out there, you know. How, how weird is that? Uh, uh, that? That's just sort of random thought from left field. But I, I guess, yeah, those things kind of go into your head. I, I guess in a, in a league like this where you only get a few contracts anyway, sometimes two, sometimes three, uh, to, to sort of mark your entire career, I'll be a little freaked out about saying, even if you're Jimmy Graham, who's had all this success in the world, he's young enough to where this might not be his last contract all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm not being used here. I'm going to, I'm going to be a guy at the end of the year that has 25 catches. And all of a sudden my value is a quarter of what it was before. It was somebody, you know, when I'm 31, be willing to say I'm still that guy I was three or four years ago, but that's, uh, that's surely the question of the day. It'll be interesting to see how these offenses shake out, especially when, you know, if you're, you're Seattle and you're, you're Carolina, maybe looking at Seattle, these two teams play each other this year. You're thinking about how to build a roster do you really want to go out and spend a bunch of money on a wide receiver that your quarterback might not find? Or right. do you just go yeah. and reinvest that in the offensive line in the back and say it might be a waste of money to go get him air quote weapons, you know, <laughs> all that kind of thing. All right, here, Wiggy, I'm going to move on here. So uh, what we do each and every week is a little segment called what we learned. And in what we learned, we pick one thing from sort of the week before that is really kind of your standout thing from uh, something you were questioning going into the weekend that you're like, wow, I have a little more clarity on this. So anything that stands out for you from this past weekend? Yeah, I would think that the one thing that stands out for me is uh, it was a play that actually happened in the uh, Atlanta Falcons-Washington Redskins game. And it, it looked like a clear touchdown. Um, uh, the running back ran a slant route, caught the ball, took a couple steps, dove into the end zone. This was actually to go ahead at the very last couple seconds of the game. Hits the ground, ball comes out. They review it, call it an incomplete pass. The thing that I, I've kind of – what I'm learning is I still think that these referees don't have a clue what's going on with some of these rules and because I clearly do not as a viewer watch some of these things. <laughs> and I know this moving forward, I would really hope that the NFL would tighten some things up, especially when it comes to – you know, obviously we remember the Seattle-Detroit play – but just some of the right. calls that the referees are making, um, their lack of knowledge on the rules. I mean, if they don't have a clue what's going on, how do they expect us as fans to know what's going on when we see something happen? Well, and as a player in full time, I mean, good Lord, the game right. moves so fast. And to have to figure that out, yeah. I, 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 that's a really cool point, Wiggy. And it, it's something that as a player, I, I think sometimes fans don't don't catch on to, but just this idea that our game has become more and more complex. And it's kind of a sneaky, scary idea that some of the players, and it's not because they're lazy. It's not because they don't know their craft. They know their craft. They know the stuff that's vital to what they do on a day-to-day basis. But yeah, we're to the point where the people that play this game, a lot of the guys that played it at a really super high level, look back, watched on Sunday, and don't know some of the little stuff any better than the fan who's sitting at home. I, I think that is kind of a scary idea. So it's almost like you've learned that we've not yet learned, <laughs> if, that, if that makes any yeah. sense. 
I think uh, well, anyway, the one thing that the NFL does that I think they're the reason why they, I think this is the cause behind this is because you've known this before. And I think you've actually brought in a rule book when we've done a segment is their rule books are so big with so much minutiae and junk in it that players, right. there's no way players are going to know everything. If they were just to simplify, shrink it, and make things very easy, I think the game would be much easier, not only for the players that are on the field, but obviously the fans that are watching it. Yep, complex game, can't have complex rules. you got to simplify a thing when the world gets chaotic. That's, that's kind of always a general rule out there. So for my what we learned, uh, and this is actually piggyback, piggybacking off of a, a, an unanswered question I actually had from a couple weeks ago, and that's a segment we'll do here later in a second. But I learned that the Cincinnati Bengals are for real. And I think I've learned that in the past, but then raised it again as a question and had to relearn it. So I know this is maybe a roller coaster we'll ride throughout the year, but it's time I think to give these guys credit. Now saying someone is for real doesn't mean I'll, I'm putting them in the class of the Patriots. I still understand on the AFC side of the draw. Uh, And you know, that's getting over that mountain is, is still another conversation in and of itself. But the thing that I'm really starting to appreciate about Cincinnati, and this is something that, you know, as someone like yourself that played in New England and won championships and, and lives and works in that market now, we get to appreciate how the, what it really takes to be a good team is, is sort of being able to be good week in, week out, even when you're not great. And the thing about the Bengals that has been, you know, so maddening about them in the last several seasons is they'd be really good one week and just suck the next, you know, like they would just put dogs out there and your teams that string together nice records, those teams that go, you know, 12 and four or better every single season. Those are the teams that can still win, can still do the little things and get through even when they don't have their best stuff. The thing about Cincinnati thus far, they played terrible. I thought yesterday against Seattle, they, they really, they had two, one uh, 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 score off of a fumble where they just blew the blocking scheme. They were trying to do a jet sweep, and Michael Bennett blew right through, basically almost took yep. the handoff from the back. Uh, you know, and then it, it runs back for six. Then they have another really bad interception early. I believe it was an interception, but a bad turnover earlier that led to points real easily as well. 14 points on the board. I mean, those are the kind of things that when you hear that, you probably didn't win the game. But the thing I like about the Bengals, and they did this a couple weeks ago uh, where they where they had two fourth-quarter scores on, on late drives with uh, Dalton hitting A.J. Green. They've really played poorly and come back and won. And then they've had other weeks where they played great and blown right through the thing. So I just look at them as a team that, uh, not saying that I'll necessarily trust them if this is a week a playoff weekend, but at least for now, I like seeing that they're tested and that they've really handled adversity pretty well, especially against good, tough, well-coached teams like Seattle. So I've learned that those guys are something to be reckoned with. I think if you're any other team on the AFC side of the draw, except for New England, you could have a real concern going into to, the into Cincinnati. That might actually be the favorite team. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that was the one thing from watching that game, the takeaway, because I've always been like, when you know, always when I was like, ah, Cincinnati, they'll – they win the first couple of games. They always look like they're good, but then they'll fall off the map. Um, that was the one thing that I was impressed with, especially Andy Dalton, because here's a guy who's kind of been like, you know, throughout his whole career, people have always questioned what type of quarterback he is. He made a really good throw to, I think his name is Tyler Efer, um, moving down yep. to, uh, I believe it was to tie the game up. And then there was another situation. It wasn't even about a throw. It was a third down play. He kind of moves out of the pocket. It's, it's right when they're in position – 
to basically uh, kick a field goal and tie the game up and send in overtime. He kind of moves to his left a little bit, doesn't really have anybody. Rather than forcing something or doing something stupid, he kind of gets hit from behind a little bit, doesn't turn the ball over, and they were able to come out, and uh, Cincinnati was able to come out and kick a field goal. So he's making some of the plays, the, the, the little plays, that we didn't see him make in the past where he would force things. He's not, sounding, he's not doing those no more. And I think Cincinnati, you know, after what we've seen through the first few weeks of the season, they're in a position right now where, hey, this team could be for real. they got to be able to do it through the remainder of the season. But I would agree with you that they're one team that, you know what, I'm going to keep my eye on them, eye on them a little bit. It's worth doing. I mean, I, I looked at Andy Dalton yesterday, and, uh, you know, especially if you watch a game through Twitter, in addition to your TV screen, it's not always advisable. But Andy did have a couple series, uh, actually one particular series, where he missed a really bad uh, wide-open receiver in the flat. You know, he'd made the right thing to go to the checkout and just blew it wide open. Uh, and then another one extended, I think it was either on that drive or the next drive, where he did the exact same thing twice, missed another wide-open receiver. And usually, I think in the past, when you'd see those, you know, Andy Dalton being Andy Dalton kind of issues, it kind of goes downhill. But for whatever reason, he's really responded well to failure in game, at least. And I think that's always the thing we people sometimes miss about Tom Brady. I think you again mentioning those two names. I'm not trying to to connect them. I'm just connecting this one particular quality Dalton showed on sort of a small sample. But what I've always appreciated about Brady is, I mean, we we usually look at the end box score. You look at the result. He had a you know clean game, a lot of touchdowns, no interceptions, yards, and all that kind of stuff. But in game, there's almost always one series where Tom's not very good. You know, or where, where he misses a couple yep. balls, where maybe he doesn't handle pressure perfectly. But it's usually that, hey, when he has a failure, as all players do, he comes out and crushes it the next time. He fixes the issue. He's not affected by the failure. Seeing Andy Dalton respond to himself screwing up with good play is, is something you got to at least feel about it, good about it if you're a Bengals fan. I think that's progress to, to at least say that. Let's pause for a moment here to acknowledge our sponsor. It's fantasy season. We know you want to dominate your league, so download the free Sports Manias app to get personalized feeds from fantasy football experts. You get breaking news, scoring opportunities, fantasy points, and milestones. With Sports Manias, you get real-time updates on your players to make smarter lineup decisions, and that's what it's all about. Alerts every time your players are in the red zone. Sports Manias brings you a new fantasy tool that gives you an edge to help you dominate your league. Get your fantasy on with Sports Manias. Uh, so one final segment we do here to sort of finish thing out, this thing out is we always do an unanswered question. I really, really, really want to know. You don't want to know. Yeah, I want to know how come. You want to know. I want to know. Okay, I'm going to tell you. I look uh, at the Atlanta Falcons, and I'm I'm so ready to be impressed by these guys. I'm so ready to say, you know what, because I believe in Dan Quinn, who is my old coach, because I believe in what those guys are able to do, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to jump on board. I'm ready to sort of let this thing fly through. But I, I get a sense that because, you know, Carolina's on a break and those guys sit in the same division, uh, the Saints are terrible, the, the, the Bucks are terrible. I'm wondering if we've overreacted to them nationally, although it's an awesome story. There's easy to believe. It's easy to believe in Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan didn't have a terribly clean game yesterday. Uh, Devontae Freeman has been ridiculously good at the running back position, just been top of league in most weeks. My unanswered question is just how this is going to flesh out, because I think that's a division that's usually looked down upon uh, in an NFC South. But now I think with two legitimate players in Carolina, Atlanta, going back and forth, 
I think could get kind of interesting. So I want to see how Atlanta sort of handles getting punched a little bit. You know, they've I'm looking back on sort of the list of teams they've beaten thus far, and they've beaten some decent teams. But what would look like a pretty impressive win going on the road in Dallas, now we're seeing how thin and how beat up those guys are. And maybe it's not quite what we thought they were. They struggled quite a bit yesterday with the Redskins. But again, to give them sort of that moxie credit, they won when it was all said and done. So my unanswered question that admittedly might not get answered in this upcoming weekend, but at least we'll have some more information. How do they, how do they continue to progress and get better? Or is this just a really nice early season story? How about for you, Wiggy? Any unanswered questions for this upcoming week? Yeah, I, I have an unanswered question because I get this question all the time, especially, you know, being here locally, I'm going to keep it to, to, to New England. We all remember 2007, the undefeated year. And now everybody asks, right. Can the New England Patriots go undefeated? So my unanswered question would be, can they go undefeated? And I I, I made it a point to watch the Giants game because I know New England has the uh, Giants on their schedule. I I didn't get to see all of the Denver game, but Denver won, but they didn't score any uh, touchdowns on offense. They beat an Oakland team. So I start to ask the question, can the New England Patriots go undefeated? When you start to look at their schedule and potential teams that you might say, okay, this could be a tough game. They play the Giants in New York. They play Denver right. in Denver. They play the Jets, who right now are 3-1. and one. And what are they? are they? Are they a team that can contend? So that's the question that I'm asking. Can New England go undefeated? Um, the schedule is pretty form- uh, formidable for them to go undefeated. But you start to look at these other teams. The Giants game last night, I thought this was a game that they were going to be able to – they had at home, they were going to be able to run over San Francisco, and they kind of, you know, they go out there and they, you know, they win the game, but they don't win it decisively. So that's the question uh, that I would like to be answered. And I know it's still a long way out, but, you know, can those Patriots run the table and, uh, and go undefeated? Uh, you know in this market, there's always sort of that, that – I don't know, tug of war from whether or not they care about that. I mean, are guys driven by that? I don't see how you couldn't be a little bit because being special, being different, that has to motivate guys a little bit. You know, you you, you don't want to lose. You just want to keep winning and win through. I always wonder with that coaching staff if if that provides an additional distraction. Again, of course, they want to win them all, you know, right? They want to win them all. But I wonder if at the end of the year, they just want a, the most healthy team that they possibly have, that they've that they're built best to sort of war, uh, weather whatever happens to come at the end of the year but that's that's always kind of an interesting question I, as fans here and, and former players like we are we always start talking about that earlier and I I think you're right you you look at the you look at the schedule and it starts to look like it's doable you know because some of these teams aren't maybe what we thought they were now again things could change October November and all of a sudden Denver's really starting to look better or something or or the Bengals fall off or, or some other team emerges and like maybe the Steelers turn things around when Big Ben returns or something like that. Um, as you mentioned, the Jets, maybe the Jets end up being sort of a, a good team throughout and they keep a pretty clean record, but it's a tantalizing question. We can put it that way because it's something that around here, it, it's something that keeps people's minds interested because they're always so good. It's, it's like, what's the next thing we can sort of shoot for kind of, kind of mentality, but 
Well, obviously, Wiggy, a big game of the week here, both in this market and really around the country. It's going to be the biggest storyline. We've got the Colts and Patriots, uh, New England going into Indianapolis for this big bout of teams that were more offseason storyline than in. Uh, the Patriots have continued to win in this young season, and the Colts have been a huge question mark. They've played pretty admirable, admirably in uh, the absence of Andrew Luck with Matt Hasselbeck, the 40-year-old quarterback coming in and doing a nice job to sort of keep the ship from sinking. Uh, but as much as this will end up being a, a weekly conversation about off-field stories, I still think the football part is the part that will matter most. And emotion aside, uh, there's just too many things on the Patriots' side that I think are strengths that the Colts just will have a very, very difficult time answering, regardless of whether or not they're in their own building or in their own town to get to sleep in their own beds. Uh, I look at it at a Colts offense that's going to struggle to move the ball. They've had some some success with Frank Gore in the last couple of weeks, but uh, can they replicate it if Luck is back there under center? Uh, Luck, when he's in the game, they, they prefer to have the ball in his hands, him handing off play after play after play. Maybe they go that route because of wanting to keep him a little healthier, a little more upright. But the more they drop him back, I think they have to worry about his penchant for hanging on to that thing a little too long, wanting that aggressive downfield throw and taking hits. We've seen his offensive line actually play pretty well uh, with another quarterback behind them in the last couple of weeks, not exploding for the big kind of yards and, you know, big offensive outputs that we've seen in the past, but winning. And uh, that's important. So how do they, how do they react to a change in style? If luck is back there under center, I think they're going to have their hands full. Uh, not only, a, you know, you're going to have trouble keeping pace with a, with the Patriots offense, all of a sudden out of nowhere, a Patriots defense is playing really, really well. Maybe even better than the offense played a weekend ago in Dallas. So can the Colts even move the team, the ball on the Patriots defense on an even playing field, much less in an environment where they're trying to keep, keep pace with, with Tom Brady and, and all the things that that offense can do. So it's going to be a tough matchup. Uh, the lines for gambling purposes are going to be all over the place. I believe it started at seven and a half Sunday night. Got to think that thing's going to go much higher. I'm seeing Patriots blowout. Uh, I don't know. It just depends on how you define a blowout. Is the blowout going to be two scores, three scores? I just think this is a mismatch. And for some reason, New England lays an egg. We know that can always happen in the NFL just because they're paid to play too. But from simply uh, laying these teams alongside one another, way too much Patriots in this one. That's all we have for this week's show, Wiggy. Thanks so much for coming on, buddy. You killed it. Uh, great stuff as always. Awesome insight. Always my pleasure to talk fo fo football with you, Matt. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FPF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app for daily insightful stuff from all of our former player writers. Make sure to check out footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.